Welcome to the Nurture Hub Pregnancy and Birth Podcast with your hosts, Shari Lyon and Nicola Lay. Together, we bring over 30 years of experience in working with women and partners through education, breathing, mindfulness, and evidence-based information, and nurturing you through this transformation into motherhood. Join us on this journey as we connect with women and partners, mentoring, supporting, and navigating the ups and downs of becoming parents. We are back with the beautiful Mel Hayes, midwife, sleep consultant, and breastfeeding lactation consultant. This is our part two today together, talking about sleeping. Welcome back. Thank you. Very excited to be back again. (laughs) Another very hot topic that this is the first time we've ever actually um, done an episode on, on sleep. And Nicola and I definitely have our stories to tell with the struggles with our children with sleep. I'm still struggling. I, my daughter is eight years old. And so please tell us how you work with women on more of a, in more of a holistic way. And maybe what that means, um, in uh, helping them through this, again, another journey that can be very mentally, uh, physically overwhelming when everyone is sleep deprived, including the babies. Yes, definitely. So, oh, it, again, such a heated topic, sleep, isn't it? And I feel like you'll get so many conflicting opinions yeah. and advice around sleep as well, which can be one of the hardest things to struggle with. Um, I suppose I'm different in that um, I've got a really holistic approach to sleep, meaning that I look at everything which affects sleep and kind of tie it all together and have a real attachment based focus around sleep. Um, so there's lots of different things that affect sleep. And I think a lot of the time we think it's just one thing, like, you know, you might think that you're baby's manipulating you or your toddler's like a behavioral issue but there's heaps of different things that affect sleep and if we can address all of those different elements then we can really work to optimize sleep for a family and this is all without using any cried out at all so I feel like that's a big difference is that probably the people who are coming to see me are the ones that you know are not wanting to use cried out um, because that's not not what I do um, and there's, yeah, so there's different elements to it, definitely. So one of the big elements for sleep is um, reducing separation. So you often find that, you know, especially when we're thinking about things like advice that we're given from people, it's all like, well, your baby's too close or too clingy, or you need to put them down or let them cry. But connection is actually key to sleep and I think if we remember that that can actually help a lot and as well probably Nicola you know from your own perspective with how the mum is feeling and how that affects baby too so if you're feeling really stressed and heightened yourself that's going to affect baby and make them feel really stressed and heightened and we know that these babies have mirror neurons that reflect how we feel and basically if you're thinking about how you want to go to sleep if you've ever been in a stressed and heightened state have you been able to fall asleep easily at night time The answer is probably no. (laughs) And so the same with our babies. We want to make sure that they're switched into this really calm and relaxed parasympathetic nervous system state where they can easily fall asleep. Um, Sometimes there's like medical issues like, you know, snoring and mouth breathing and low ferritin issues um, that can cause disruptions of sleep. Sometimes it's like an issue of sleep schedule and timing. And sometimes if we, you know, adjust the rhythms to the parents, the rhythm to the baby's day and the timings of how and how long they're having their sleeps for that can actually improve sleep. Um, you know, 
you need support from your village and those around you as well. So just seeing if there's anything else you can take off your plate. Um, there's lots of different things that do affect sleep and it's really about looking at all of them, including your baby's temperament as well, which is a huge factor in how your little one is going to react to changes made to their sleep as well. Mm, I remember, <laughs> you know, I've just got, I think I've got slight PTSD from not sleeping for like, what, nearly 10 years now. (laughs) (laughs) I want to claim this. I said this to Shari before we stepped in, that I'm going to claim that our children are really smart and that's why they don't sleep. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) They say that's one of the things, isn't it? But I remember um, just so many different ones, but remembering that Shari and I spoke about this before, I used to feed my girls, both of them, to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then I'd crawl across the room, go to the edge of the cot, lean them in, and my whole nipple would go really <laughs> long. And hopefully they're not going to wake up. I would even warm up the cot with like a warm, you know, like a heat pad or something. Yeah. Sort of exchange it, put them down, and then crawl out of the room. <laughs> You've seen that YouTube clip where that girl like rolls and like does this full climb out of the room and then the baby cries and you're like, no, (laughs) that's totally me. (laughs) I feel like that's a lot of mums. Hey, you have to like, yeah, do the ninja, ninja kind of escape route out of the room. Mm. So I like, are there normal sleep cycles times for, for babies? Yeah, so you normally find that when they're younger, their sleep cycle is kind of around the 45-minute mark, which is often what you'll find when babies um, are catnapping, which, again, is super something that a lot of mums reach out and actually do struggle with, with thinking that their baby shouldn't be catnapping when actually catnapping is really biologically normal, especially if a baby's under six months. You'll find a lot of babies are just having these short naps for like around one sleep cycle, even shorter. Some babies have like 20-minute naps, and then you find as they get older, this starts to extend a little bit. Um, so that's really, really common basically um and then yeah normally as we get older especially into adulthood we find that our sleep cycles are a little bit longer can breastfeeding affect sleep cycles if they're not getting enough milk yeah so oh if they're not getting enough milk yeah like if they're hungry yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So if your baby's hungry, then they're going to be waking up more often. Um, I think there's a big thing with routines and people kind of pushing specific ones, like, for example, you know, feed your baby and then play with them and then put them to sleep. But depending on your baby's awake time as well, like your baby might then be hungry before they go to sleep and then you're trying to put to sleep a baby who actually wants a feed and then they're getting cranky and you're wondering why they're not going to sleep. Um, so I would always say, try not to you know listen to the outside noise of what you should be doing and focus more on what your baby is showing you that they want and what they're queuing so if they're queuing for a feed feed them it's just like us if we were thirsty or hungry we'll be going to the kitchen and getting something to eat or drink and our babies are the same um so I love a top-up feed before bed and even with my two I fed to sleep both of my little ones um yeah and I feel like it's a great way just to top up their bellies a little bit Oh, good, because that was my next question. Like, should you feed when they wake or should you feed when they go to sleep? Because I was the same, Nicola. I, The feeding was what got them to sleep and then I'd be the same. I even tried. How's this? I saw someone where you get like a glove and you put rice in the glove and put the glove on, <laughs> on the bum so it makes it feel like they've got like that weight because I'd have to like pat my babies like she was uh I think both of them it was either a rocking 
And if I got them in the cot, I had to sit there outside of the cot with my hand through the rails mm. and pat her bum. I was trying to, I've even seen that there's devices now, like little patting like devices. Oh, way. I've seen one of those fish that like, you know, the fish on the kind of plugs that kind of wiggle their tails. I've seen something I think on YouTube of like some of the dad using that on like their baby's bums kind of to pat them. Um, You'll try yes. anything. That yeah. when you are sleep deprived you will try anything and I think that's why for my second I ended up co-sleeping because yeah. it was just the only way that I felt that we both would get sleep yeah and you do find that co-sleeping can be such a savior for so many families there's actually a book um who I feel like everybody no matter what way you sleep needs to read it's called safe infant sleep by Dr James McKenna who's actually a leading expert in um, co-sleeping and it's amazing. It goes through basically, it kind of gives you an introduction to co-sleeping and the normality of it. I think a lot of times we're made to feel like, you know, co-sleeping is something wrong or something we shouldn't do. And really mums and babies have been sleeping in close proximity to each other since the dawn of time. Mm. Um, and it's only more recently really that there's been this big push against co-sleeping. Um, and then it also has like really great demonstrations on how to co-sleep safely and things to do and things to avoid. Um, so I feel like that's a really great book to grab, especially if you're looking at co-sleeping. And I think if you're pregnant and thinking that you're never going to co-sleep, that's fine as well. But just know that there's a lot of mums who say they're never going to do it. And then, you know, after they have their baby, you decide to do it and that's fine as well. But you just want to make sure that you're doing it in a um, that you're set up to do it in a safe way, I suppose, and you're not falling asleep on a couch or a recliner or, you know, making choices that can be a little bit more risky. I think that's so, sorry, Nicola, that like just thinking about it when you think, well, here we are mammals. Yeah. Other mammals do not separate themselves no. from, you know, at birth because the baby relies on the mother to keep them safe. And yeah. we are in our Western culture have been, I guess societies might be made to feel bring baby home, put baby in a separate cot or even a separate room. And there's that, that separation there. So yeah, that, yeah, it just kind of, and I've, I've actually traveled quite a lot and seeing other cultures, like especially around South America, mm-hmm. they wear their babies like 24 seven and yeah. sleep with their babies. They wrap their babies up on their chest, on their back. It is, that is their their culture. And it was so amazing for me to see that contrast of, wow, like that for me makes sense. And Mm. so that's where I, my first baby was, you know, obviously there's a lot of anxiety about sleeping with the baby and what if I roll on the baby and things like that. So I did, I didn't co-sleep with Harley and had him in the cot right next to me. But with my daughter, after that confidence, I guess I, I had from my, surviving motherhood for two years with, with one child that I was yeah. like, no, nah, I'm going to give this a go. And in the co-sleeping definitely worked for us. Yeah. And you do find it works for so many families and it does mean that you both get more sleep and babies generally sleep better because they're closer to their mum, which means that they're feeling safer. Like they've still got all those, you know, they've still got the same instincts today as if they were born back in like the caveman era, you know, they're wanting to be close to their mum because their mum's literally going to keep them safe and keep them alive. Yeah, and it's that human connection. Every we, We're born to need that human connection. Without yeah. it, I was reading this amazing um, book with Oprah Winfrey about what happened to me. I'm oh, not going to go off topic too much. But he was saying that babies that are in orphanages have a higher risk of, of not thriving mm. because they don't have human connection. Oh, so, so essential. I, 
it, it really is. And I remember just the same as you, Shari, you know, when I had her, I was like, I'm not going to put her in a room by herself. Like, and the, and then the social conditioning and that, you know, our, our grandmothers or our mothers or other people saying, well, don't spoil your child. Don't pick it up when it cries. And I'm like, oh my God, have you heard my child? I'm like, I'm picking it up. There is no yeah. way. But what I learned the most through, I'm not joking when I say thousands of dollars of different sleep consultants that I had through my home. Ones Ooh. that I had to ask to leave in the middle of the night because they're keep letting her cry. She's vomiting. No, no, keep going. Oh God. And I'm like, oh, this isn't working. But I do remember um, just feeling into that nurture, that human connection and knowing that I had to find someone who was going to really help me understand that co-sleeping was something that my child actually was going to thrive from and not mm. and I'm not saying that that's the only way but for me with a child that wouldn't sleep now my first child stopped sleeping at six months old she slept great up until six months old mm-hmm. does that happen is that something that can happen Oh, you do find that babies go through stages. And I think a lot of um, mums, especially new mums, kind of think that sleep's going to be on this upward trajectory where it's just going to keep improving the older they get. When really it's like a roller coaster. It goes up and then it goes and does a loop and then it goes up and then it goes down again. And sleep, especially over that first year, is so up and down. And I feel like if you can expect that, similarly to breastfeeding really, kind of goes up and down a little bit. But, yeah, if you can expect that with sleep, then I think that you're not as taken back and you're not, you know, feeling like you're a failure if sleep does go back on a down you know downhill after yeah. being previously going up um yeah it definitely can happen and this baby's sleep needs change all the time like around every six weeks our baby's sleep needs are changing and so you might find that you know what was working for you six weeks ago isn't working now and that they need a bit more awake time or more stimulation or something a little bit different mm. um and so yeah just I mean their brains if you think about how their brains change they double in size over that first year so they go through just such huge periods of development and growth and you'll often find when they're going through one of these huge um, developmental periods that sleep does go a bit downhill for a moment yeah right it's um it it's a real time I found of feeling almost a bit shame shameful about the fact that my baby wasn't sleeping like gosh I better not say anything because it's so clearly something that I'm doing wrong. And I, I went to one of those sleep schools in Sydney and um, we had to sit and talk about our stress and problems that we have with our children. And my, my child at the time, by the time I got there, was at the cusp of being too old to be there. Um, but I remember feeling into the shame of just, gosh, I did something wrong. And she said that babies don't naturally learn to sleep by themselves. We have to show them how to sleep. And I don't know if you're in agreement to that, but I kind of kept thinking, well, how do you show a baby that's non-communicative? Mm. I have to feel into her signs, but I can't understand her cues. I don't know what, what, what cues are the right ones for her as an individual. So talk, mm. can you talk us through cueing? Like, cause they talk about it a lot, don't they? Yeah. So I would say, first of all, <laughs> sleeping is a biological instinct, just like breathing. So I don't think we have to teach our babies how to sleep because they slept perfectly fine in utero for nine months. Um, so it's something that they know we don't have to teach them how to do it. It, it, it is an instinct. Um, in regards to cueing, yeah, there's, babies will have different cues and you'll find that some babies will show you these really early tired cues and kind of build up to later tired cues and then they're ready for bed. Other babies, they won't show you any tired cues. And then right when they're pretty much overtired, they'll show you a cue and then you've almost yes. missed your boat. <laughs> so it depends what um it depends what baby you have. And it's all really about trying to work out 
you know, what's going to work for your baby. So some babies might start rubbing their eyes. They might start going a bit red in the eyebrows or the forehead. They might start just gazing off into the distance and looking a little bit blank. They might start getting a little bit irritable. And it's really trying to kind of catch them before they get to the point that they're a bit over it. So if we can catch them when we first notice these, as soon as we start to notice these kind of earlier tired cues and start getting them ready for bed, then it's going to often be a lot easier. Um, And something that I talk about sometimes with my clients is sleep latency, which is the length of time that it takes for your little one to fall asleep. Um, So generally this is around the 15 minute mark. So I think a lot of the times we think that if our baby falls asleep within five minutes, oh, perfect. They fell asleep like within a minute. That's great. But often this can be a sign that your little one's a bit overtired if they're falling asleep, like literally the second you go to pull them, put them down. If they're falling asleep around the 15 minute mark, that's pretty ideal. And then if they're taking 30 minutes or longer, they're either undertired if they're happy and just kind of looking around the cot and playing, um, or if they're taking 30 minutes or longer and they're like, really irritable back arching screaming they're obviously very dysregulated and this can also be overtiredness so we're trying to really find that sweet spot about what works for our baby and in looking for that with your little one you'll find which we spoke about a little bit before they started recording is that all babies are really really different and that we can't compare our baby to another baby because just like you and I are completely different they are the same so you might need 10 hours of sleep at night and I might need seven hours of sleep a night and you know that's what each of our bodies needs and with our babies some babies have really slow sleep needs they won't need as much sleep and other babies will have high sleep needs they'll need more sleep in that same 24-hour period and if you're trying if you've got a low sleep needs baby that you're trying to get on the same schedule as your friend who her baby sleeps for you know three two-hour naps during the day it's not going to happen it's just going to end in a lot of tears for you and your little one because you're trying to force them to something that do something that their body you know isn't naturally wired to do um and also similarly to their temperament you might find that some babies are really easygoing in their temperament and they do slide into whatever whatever you know routine you put them into and other babies which are the majority and not that really easygoing unicorn baby that does whatever you want them to do. Um, you know, they're more sensitive maybe, or they're more intense or they've got high energy and you'll find that these babies, they will, you know, they'll protest if you're, if you're trying to put the, to get them to do something that they're not biologically wired to do, they're not going to want to do it. And they're going to show you that. And that's really normal when healthy as well. Oh, Can I just yes. ask, is there, is this a myth? Oh, I mean, I remember hearing this that bottled Bottle-fed babies sleep better than breastfed babies? Yeah, that's a myth. So there's no evidence that if you give your baby a bottle of formula or if you start solids early that they're going to sleep better. So I think a lot of people push that, that, you know, give your, boy, give your baby a bottle of formula or start them solids at four months um, so that they're going to start sleeping better. But there's actually no research that supports that at all. Um, oh, because I, I'm not I- – there was one particular book that I remember trying <laughs> where she advised there it had something to do with in the the bot to bottle feed and in that you then put some baby porridge or something like when they were oh, older cereal yeah that's it to Ugh. thicken it up to to help them feel fuller so that they would sleep longer yeah there's no evidence that 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 is the case at all. <laughs> and I think a lot of people there's more like detrimental effects to starting solids early and doing things like that too than than any benefit um 
so the World Health Organization and the um, Australian National Medical Research Council both agree that it's not until babies are around six months of age that they're physiologically ready to start solids. And I think a lot of the time we still get pushed to like start rice cereal and start all mm. these things a lot earlier than that. Um, but that's very outdated advice. Okay. So what would you offer, say, for example, my second baby had colic, um, but, you know, you see lots of other mothers that have got issues with the silent reflux. Mm. Those babies are generally a little bit more unsettled than, than another baby. Um, how do you advise or help those particular mums as they come into those issues? Yeah, I would say, especially with things like reflux and colic, often it is like a symptom of something else that's going on. Um, so, for example, I had a mum recently who her baby was waking hourly every night. They were breathing with their mouth open and they had their tongue down. They were doing some snoring. Um, yeah, suffering from reflux quite a lot. And the baby ended up having a quite severe tongue tie. Um, and then really, as soon as you work out what's happening, so for example, that family was a tongue tie. Um, it was quite restrictive and they ended up having it released. And then their whole world basically turned, you know, the other way around and baby started sleeping longer and their reflux got better. And um, they had, you know, a really good outcome with that so I think it's really about trying to understand what the cause is because colic is a symptom of something and um, especially with things like reflux as well like for example is it you know a cow's milk protein intolerance is something that's causing the reflux because that can actually be I think research I read an article the other day that it was like up to 50 percent 40 or 50 percent of babies with reflux actually have cow's milk protein intolerance and so then by you know eliminating the dairy from mum's diet and from baby's diet if baby's already started solids then you know that has a huge effect on sleep so I think it's really about trying to underline, trying to really understand the cause. Um, for example, if you've got a baby who's got an allergy, like, you know, or an intolerance, changing their sleep patterns or timings probably isn't going to make any difference on how they're sleeping and how frequently they're waking up at night. And similarly with, you know, if they've got a tongue tie, often if our tongue is in a, um, low-lying position in our mouth we're not protecting our airway and then we're not able to get into that really deep sleep where our body switches into that nice deep you know that parasympathetic nervous system that is perfect for sleep and so you get babies that are waking really often at night time mm. so it's really about understanding what the cause is because if you can't identify that cause then you're not going to be able to improve sleep for that family um, and I've had a few families actually that have reached out because um, I think I did a reel a little while back and I was talking about, you know, the importance of when we're sleeping, having our lips sealed and our tongue suctioned to the roof of our mouth and breathing through our noses. And, you know, there were so many families that were messaging being like, oh, my baby's, I've just noticed my baby's snoring with their mouth open and their tongue's really low and they're doing this really noisy breathing. Um, so, yeah, it's just basically kind of picking up on those things to work out, okay, well, is there an oral restriction or an airway issue or what's the reason that this is different from the norm? It's so interesting and it just continues on. And I always say to anyone that's listening, you know, <clears throat> being a breath coach, mm. I work with women and that are having issues sleeping as adults. And, and it's, if you could correct it with your babies when they're little, yeah. it, when they arrive into their adulthood, they're going to have less issues with possible sleep apnea and all of those things. Yeah, definitely. You know, mouth formation and how healthy their teeth grow and their gums and their whole mouth positioning so it's oh, it affects so everything doesn't it so so interesting I know what about um a a baby that's had a, a tricky arrival into the world do you think that that can cause them to have sleep issues or yeah yeah you do find that actually that um like babies who have had 
really like you know traumatic births that sometimes you do find that issues you know do continue on with sleep um and similarly for for the babies but for the mums as well that have gone through that really traumatic experience you know it affects both baby and mother I find um and it is that's probably when I suppose it would be really beneficial as well for them to see you Nicola and where you can work through some of those issues with breath work and things like that because um the other out, the other outcome of that is that then mums are also feeling quite stressed and heightened and then that's also affecting baby and baby's feeling quite stressed and heightened and neither of those things are optimal for sleep so if baby's in a stressed um, state they're going to feel like or you know noticing that their mother's in a stressed state they're going to be feeling like okay well it's not safe for me to sleep right now because my primary caregiver isn't feeling safe or something's wrong with my primary caregiver so yeah I do find that you know it definitely shows up in sleep Mm, I love that what about all these devices we were talking about this weren't we before we came on I went to see a mum about two months ago and she had a high-tech camera she literally walked around with her phone when she wasn't in the room with the baby watching every single motion she had like an alarm map for when it moved or rolled because she was so scared that it's going to go on its tummy and then not be able to you know not be able to breathe So, um, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I don't really believe in any of these, these high-tech devices or expensive things. I think a lot of the times when we're pregnant, we're, got, we're told that we need to buy all of these expensive items for the baby. And, um, you know, even as new mums, you know, oh, you have to have this latest, latest gadget to get your baby to sleep. Um, yeah, I don't really think you need any of those things because I think they can also just heighten the stress. I don't know about that mum that you were seeing, but I know yeah, a lot of mums who totally. are really trying to control as much as they can. So they've got, yeah, they've got the monitor that they, you know, are watching the whole time. You know, they might have like the sleep apps on their phone that they're logging all of the sleeps and the feedings and they're logging it all down to the second. And, you know, they've got the cot that's moving and shushing and doing it all for themselves. Um, I find most of those devices really heighten stress for the parents, um, which I don't find to be beneficial at all. Really, the best thing for you to, the safest way to keep your baby, um, or the best, best way to keep your baby safe is to be close to them. So, you know, you don't need a mat that's going to be alarming because a lot of the times they actually set off false alarms, which is even more stressful when they're setting off a false alarm. Um, but the research shows the best way to keep your baby safe is to be close to them, especially if overnight. So um, Red Nose Guidelines suggest sleeping close to your baby in the same room as them under six, or six to 12 months now, they say, um, because then you're going to be able to identify and pick up any subtle changes in their behaviour or cues. And especially if you're co-sleeping that squat really came out of that book with Dr James McKenna as well about the amount of mums that were able to pick up instantly pretty much if their baby had changed you know changed their breathing pattern or um, anything like that and were then able to be right there and be able to rouse baby and give them a bit of a pat on the back um, which is just yeah it's amazing really what mums pick up even when they're you know half asleep we're just so in tune aren't we to our babies and how they change and I know myself even now if my baby you know when my toddler's cries at night it's almost like an alarm bell goes off in your head do you feel the same way like when you have little Uh, ones yeah absolutely and we've talked about this with Dr Sarah Buckley like we are designed to be at a higher um, alert state for the hormones and things for that exact reason. And I remember too, you know, people saying, what if you fall asleep on, on your baby and you're, you know, feeding her. And I'm like, but you, you don't, you're so aware of any movements or things with them, even when you are co-sleeping and, um, 
it, it, but I think that there's just so much fear-based marketing out there. It's just like pregnancy, yeah. fearing birth. And then they, you know, the SIDS, 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 you know, just, just like they do with women in, in pregnancy yeah. about risk, high risks of stillbirth. And then, and then you get your baby and then there, there's just so much information out there and there's so mm. much noise that we forget to connect in with the innate instinctual connection that is there between you and your baby and you know your baby best and yeah and like I'm just speaking from experience now after having two children like oh I look back and I wish I could tell my past self like just do what feels right for you your baby Mm -hmm. doesn't have to sleep through the night that's not what my babies did and yeah compared to other mums but there's just so much self judgment and what's wrong with my baby what am I doing wrong is the baby getting enough milk and then you question your breastfeeding and it it's just we're so much in that neocortex we need to calm that down and come back into the mammalian instinctual side of us that will tell us what's right yeah oh I definitely definitely agree it's so true and I think even social media sometimes makes this worse because you see on there you know you compare yourself to other people on there and even friends, if their babies are sleeping through and your baby's not sleeping through, you feel like a bit of a mm. failure. But just knowing, I suppose, that all babies are going to sleep at different times. You know, you might get that unicorn baby who sleeps through at six weeks, but very likely your baby probably won't be doing that. And, you know, some babies aren't sleeping through till like later, like later, later toddlerhood, right. really, before they start sleeping. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and even knowing that, I suppose, it's not some sort of milestone that you have to achieve. Like, you know, your baby might sleep through the night once and then doesn't do it again for another couple of weeks, and then it might do it once again. And even, you know, into toddlerhood, like, Harvey's now four and a half and you know every I don't know probably three times a week or so he'll call out and he'll want his blanket pulled up or you know something kind of fixed up in his room or drink of water or something so it's not something that we a milestone that we hit and then oh great our baby's are never gonna our little one's are never gonna wake overnight again um that's definitely not what it is and I think even if you think of yourself how you sleep at night you know you might get up to go to the toilet you might have a drink of water you might you know toss and turn a bit overnight so yeah, it's definitely unrealistic to think that our babies are just going to turn to little robots and sleep all night. So here's a question for you. And it's something that I've had lots of discussions, particularly with the partner, the, the dad, or, or, you know, if you're in a same sex marriage, the other part, you know, the partner is that they get a bit frustrated because, you know, why is the baby not sleeping? You know, why is our child not sleeping? You know, when I was a kid, I was just like, you know, breast, you know, this breastfeeding, that's the problem. And so it becomes quite, because everyone's really tired, it becomes quite dysfunctional in the conversations and the agitation. I, I personally always say to mums, you know, research some of the sleep stuff before, while you're in pregnancy. So you understand that it's, you don't fear the lack of sleep because the hormones help you to, to cope with that. But how are you going to have conversations around, I'm really tired, I need a break to your partner? Yeah. Because they don't often get so affected as we do when we're the, the breastfeeders or the mums that are up in the night. So I always say, have these difficult conversations now about how you're going to cope when you're really, mm. both of you are so tired. Because if you can have a code that says, I want a code red, I need a break. You're both not going to even question that, that you know you've come, you've reached your end of your tether. 
and getting support around you to come and help you so that you can have a daytime sleep and you can ask your partner to help you a little bit at night time because often the men mm. just don't even wake up anthony never even woke up you know some of the nights i'd be like i only i was up pretty much the whole night no way i didn't even hear i'm so sorry yeah. and i'd be like i hate you <laughs> yeah. so you get a bit like that don't you? you look at them sleeping and you're like oh just like how come you were not awake at the same time um yeah i just want to add something there can we normalize that i remember putting my baby to sleep and then i'd go have a shower and it was like phantom you could yeah. you're in the shower and you felt like you could hear them crying and you'd stop your shower and you'd run out and they'd be asleep that's yeah. very normal to think that you're hearing a baby crying and they're not actually crying. <laughs> yes, definitely very normal. I think that was probably like one of the few times I would bring the monitor in with me just so I could see, oh, yeah, okay, no, they're not They're not actually crying because that happens all the time. Hey, you go to go do something and you're like, oh, no, and you run out of the shower half dripping wet and baby's completely fine. Milk squirting everywhere. Yeah. The, warmth has made, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the warm like, water has made the letdown come in. Oh, gosh, yeah. it's, yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, back to the partners, completely agree about having those conversations early on and definitely during pregnancy um, if you can because it does make life so much easier on the other side and just knowing that, you know, it's in, you're going to need support. I think that's a big issue with what we're going through at the moment, especially in Western society, is that we don't have that village around us like we used to do. And, you know, being a mum is really hard. And one of the reasons it's really hard is also because we're not meant to be doing it alone. And instead of having this village to support us, we're trying to do, you know, all of these different roles and all of these different jobs by ourselves which makes it so much more difficult. So I think definitely getting, talking to your partner, having those important conversations about how you're going to spare and support each other, what tasks you can even delegate to family and friends, what tasks you can even delegate to, you know, paid services, if you can afford like a cleaner or food service delivery or, you know, something like that as well is so important because just, I know myself, the difference it makes to having support is, is just amazing. Yeah, I, I agree. And especially lots of listeners might be expats that are here by themselves like I am. I don't have a single mm. family member here. So and my husband was away a lot. But I remember saying to him, I just need food. So we, we all did yeah. some pre-food, you know, that I could just sit and eat because I'd find myself not cooking properly. And then I'd be stressed and even more tired. So it's not just the sleeping. It's when you're tired, you start to do things that are not normal. Yeah. Don't you? you start to make mistakes or you're not driving very well. And you're, so you do need to, I always say to moms, go get a sleep in the daytime. Don't care about the house, just sleep. Mm. And try and get your sleep in the day. And they very much often refuse to do that. Mm. Oh, I, even when I do that now, I always make sure, and I say the same thing to my like moms, whatever you're like get all the jobs that you need to get done that you have to get done like you know decrease your list as much as you can but like the main ones that you need to get done try to do them while your little one's awake you know pop them down on the floor and let them have a roll around on the floor and try to get your jobs done because you want to be using that rest time so you can rest as well because otherwise it's just it's too much otherwise it's too exhausting you want to make sure that you're resting and you're looking after yourself um especially if you're having if they're having a nap or you have two children they magically have a nap at the same time you want to make sure that you're putting your feet up and you're either sleeping yourself or you're doing something that's relaxing and rejuvenating for you so Mm -hmm. having a sleep consultant having had a few but my last one i had was i would have paid way more money to have her because she changed my life but tell me why do you why do people what was the importance of having a sleep consultant I probably think that's one of the main questions because people go yeah right the baby will sleep when it gets there and I'm like I promise you 
suggest if you're having problems, don't even hesitate. I wish I'd done it when they were really small. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, honestly, it's it's really different for some families and individuals. Like I had a mum the other day who, um, you know, just wanted to understand what newborn biological sleep looked like. And, right. you know, that's that's what she wanted. And then you have other mums who are kind of, you know, in the depths of sleep deprivation, those eight months down the track and they haven't, you know, slept for that for that eight months. Um I think it's really about reflecting how you're feeling. And if you feel like you do need some extra support, there are always gentle ways to make changes, especially without ever leaving your little one to cry it out. So if you're feeling like what you're doing now is not sustainable for you, um, you're feeling like it's not working for you anymore, just know that there's always support that you can get um, where you can make changes around your little one while still focusing on attachment and connection. Um, And yeah, I just feel like there's such a there's such a lack of support. So knowing that that is out there for you um, when you're ready. And like you're saying as well, sometimes getting on top of it a bit earlier can be great, especially during like pregnancy or the newborn period. So you can really understand what sleep can look like over that first year and how you can maybe prepare yourself for the different changes that might come up. Because often we know we talked about sleep being a bit of a roller coaster. So if you know there's certain ages where sometimes sleep can go a little bit downhill, you know, what you can do to help yourself through those times. I really feel like with everything, you know, birth, feeding, sleep, the more prepared you can be and the more knowledge and understanding you have of it, the better. Um, And as cliche as it sounds, knowledge is really power and I feel like it gives you a lot of confidence. Yeah, Mm. and I think you and you're getting, even just to have, I remember just at the wit's end talking to this lady on the phone and she didn't do anything in person, it was all by phone. And I just remember really crying to her going, no one's really understanding me. I feel really lonely. I, I can't think straight. I'm really tired. I've got two children. I'm trying to work. And I just don't know when this is going to end. And I just remember her just listening to me. And Mm. actually, it was such a safety blanket for me. And when she said, we've come to the end of our journey now, I'm like, don't go. (laughs) She was amazing. And it was, I definitely recommend it to anybody that's having problems. So... Yeah, yeah, there's definitely support out there. And I think the other struggle is a lot of mums think there's no options between, you know, wait it out and cry it out. But, you know, there is, <laughs> there definitely is. Um, and, yeah, more than happy to help any mums that are feeling like they just need a bit of extra support or guidance or, you know, or like you were saying, at the end of your tether and just, you know, really struggling and not knowing which way to turn. So what kind of packages do you offer? How for, for women to get like well what's the best way for them to work with you is it just a one-off consult is it having a number um what do you offer in regards to the support for prenatal and then when the baby comes home or maybe they have a toddler who they just need some help with yeah, yeah. So I do, um, same as breastfeeding, so I'll do online virtual consultations and I do in-home consultations as well if you're on the Gold Coast. Um, and the good thing about those is that we spend um, normally a good hour or so together, sometimes an hour and a half, but then you get two weeks of unlimited follow-up support. So then we get to really work closely over the next two weeks, you know, troubleshoot any issues that might come up and it's such a good opportunity really to get that more in-depth support that by the end of the two weeks, you're feeling really confident and you kind of have a bit of a plan going forwards. Amazing. Well, to our listeners, please Mm -hmm. contact Mel from Cocoon and Cradle if you want any support through your breastfeeding or sleep journey. But if you can get some education, you also have workshops, don't you? Yeah, I do have workshops as well. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't had one for a couple of months now, but I'll have another one coming up. Um, And I'm also just about to start releasing some guides as well, which can be a really good um, affordable option for parents too. 
amazing I love this. it's been brilliant talking to you today thank oh, you thank for you. being in here and and giving women that support to know that they're not alone yeah thank you it's been such a pleasure to have a chat thanks mel thank you we hope that you've enjoyed this episode and that it's helped you on your own journey we would love it if you would subscribe and leave us a review To learn more about our individual online or face-to-face courses or be mentored by us for your own birth, please see our show notes for the links to our programs.